Salvation in the name of Jesus. How beautiful. If you are a young kid, you guys are dismissed and off to class. You guys can go back. I know you're very excited today. I think it's puppet day. Doug, you can't go. You got to stay. <laughs> Not allowed to go. Uh, no, uh, beautiful. Uh, today, uh, the title of the lesson, as you can see, is uh, Claim to be Wise. And we're going to be dealing, uh, dealing with that today of the, what does it mean to be wise? And uh, we're going to be reading Romans uh, 1, 18 through 32. But like usual, we have to uh, know the context of uh, what we're getting into. We've been in Mark, we're going to be diving into Rome. And the reason why context matters is context matters because when you say stuff, it might sound different in different settings or different to different people. I'll give you an example. One this morning, I, uh, two of my friends uh, that I called, I called them knuckleheads. I go, hey, I got to get my two knuckleheads. I was talking about Les and Steven. Now, they are my friends. They're close. They're good. They understand what I said. If I said that in a different setting, they might take it personally. They might not like that I said that. So in the setting, Stephen and Les, if you were offended, I apologize because I love you. But no, like different settings matter. And if you hear that later, context matters. So we're going to be talking about a little bit about Romans here. Paul is the writer here, and the letter was written around somewhere around 55 to 58 AD, and most of that is because of the determination of what is happening in the stories. They can't 100% nail it down when it was written, uh, or all parts of it were written. Remember, it took a lot of time. It took effort to get these letters uh, taken care of, but that's about when the letters were uh, written, which is incredibly close if you really think about it to the to death of Jesus you know it's not that long after uh, it's well within uh, the reign uh, the range of writing of Paul the letter of Romans is written to Rome okay most people uh, uh, realize that but at this time the population of Rome is around 1 million people okay so there's about 15 1,000 to 60,000 Jewish people in the town right there, uh, in, the, in Rome. Now, the origin of the Rome church itself uh, is unknown. A lot of people would say, hey, uh, Peter started, or this. Uh, Peter was not in that place when it was started. Uh, we know Paul did, has never been to Rome. If you continue to read Romans, you know Paul has not been there, so he didn't start it. Uh, there's a lot of different people that think uh, differently in the sense of how it began. A lot of people think that it was Christian Jewish people that started. Some even believe that it was Gentiles uh, that were slaves that were Christian that were brought in and helped start it. Uh, there's a, a nice mixture of the context of not knowing 100% how it began, but it started to, to take off a little bit. One of the biggest things, though, that is happening here is Paul is dealing in his letter, and you can see it if you've been reading it or as you will be reading it, is that he deals with the Gentile and uh, Jewish Christian tension, okay? There's some tension there, okay? There, and you can tell Paul is starting to work on that, okay? 
One of the reasons why, and there's multiple reasons of tension, but one of the reasons why there is tension is uh, in 49 AD, Claudius banished Jewish people from Rome. So Claudius kicked them out, okay? So that would be like, hey, I'm going to take the right side of the church. You guys have to go away for three years, okay? You guys do church, do that, and then we're going to come back together, and then we're going to join back together, okay? A lot of times, well, this is the way we do it. This is how we do it. And then you guys, well, this is how we do it. And then all of a sudden there's this tension. Now you also have to realize there's tension between Gentiles and Jewish traditions. Okay? Jewish much more followed the law. Much more understood the law. Understood this. The Gentiles were much more of pagan traditions. So bringing those back together is, is a challenge, as you'll see. Um, a couple other things that you'll see uh, through here uh, with Paul writing in Romans is um, not just the overarching unity of the churches, but that we are to be unified in Christ. There's a big thing right now. Hey, we're all supposed to be unified. What brings us together? Well, what brings us together is Christ and Christ alone. It's not, hey, I like your outfit, you're looking really good, or like, hey, I really like what you said. No, what brings us together is the unity of Christ and knowing what that focus is. Um, also, number two is, you'll see that Romans is about bringing glory to God the Father. And Paul also believes that the great, in the Great Commission, he believes that he needs to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. So the final thing before we start getting into the reading today, Romans 1, 1 through 17, talks about God's saving promise. The Old Testament is fulfilled through the Son of Jesus Christ. It is meant both for Gentiles and Jews. It talks about what Jesus has done and had fulfilled for all mankind. And then in verse 18, what we begin today in, the tone switches. In the beginning, it was talking about God's righteousness. Now, Paul starts talking about God's wrath. So as we look at, uh, at this, we're going to be looking at, one, when you study Romans over the next couple weeks, I want you to take a look at, one, solidifying your faith in Christ Jesus. Number two, it's about the encouragement of worship together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And three, it's about spreading the gospel. As we dive into Romans 1, 18 through 32, it's 14 verses. Usually what I do is I like to read the whole thing and then we'll go through it. It's a, it's a big chunk. So we're, I'm going to start reading and then I'm going to put sort of like common questions or common comments, I would say, as stuff comes up. As we go through. So if you want to join along, we're going to be jumping into Romans 1.18 here in one second. But the first question and point number one is, who fights the wicked? Who fights the wicked? Paul argues that God's wrath is righteously revealed here when we start digging in because people suppress the truth about the one true God. And turn to idolatry. As I would put it, when people turn to idols, they try to extinguish the truth of God. God's wrath 
is now righteous and always will be. Verse 18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. My first question is, to, to whom is this sent? And he answers, Who suppressed the truth by their wickedness? His, his wrath is revealed to those who suppress the truth. Does prayer work? Okay, okay. And we can have a little back and forth. You're thinking a little back and forth. Does prayer work? Okay, thank you. Stan, I love you. I love you all, but give me that louder. But does prayer work? We all say yes. So then why did they take prayer out of schools? Because it works. Well, what are they going to do? It's, it suppresses it. Well, it suppresses truth. It suppresses, it says, hey, we're not going to do this anymore because we're gonna, there's a conflict and we're going to suppress the truth. We all know that it works, but we, we're going we're gonna to suppress it. And so that's just a, one example, and I'm sure you could think of many others where you start seeing truth being suppressed and being pushed down. And how can we know that they suppress the truth? Because it's been made plain to them. And now he's talking about the truth. It says in verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We can look around the world today. It's been made plain. Godly truths have been made plain all around. I find it interesting that scientists all the time have been digging into the atom and keep finding it to be more amazing than they even thought. They are finding more avenues in how it works and they're finding more neurons and different particles all the time. And then you look at the outside world and you see how if the sun was just a couple meters farther back or the earth was tilted at a different angle, we'd be freezing to death or we'd burn up or if we didn't have the right amount of oxygen, we couldn't breathe. We would die. If the gravity was just a little bit different, we'd be floating around. Flying would be ultimately cool, but I don't know if we could hang on to stuff. And the world is just so beautifully, precisely made and it's beautiful and it's great and we see this all the time, but people still deny God. People still deny the truth. They deny it. They don't want to see it. And it's not just that. The word of God has never come back void. It's never come back false. And so when you have the word of God working, they deny it. And that's what's the wrong, for it has been made clear. And we see it. And so, since it has been made plain to them and clear, they have no excuse for suppressing the truth. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. We live right now in a world where we're a spiritualized country, where if you took a huge mountain and there's some God up there, any path you take will get you to the same God. 
That's what we believe. You go, oh, if you want to go this way, you can do that. Oh, if you don't want to believe that, you can go this way. We believe in this falsehood that it's all leading to the same place. I am telling you, that is not the world. That is not the word of God. That is not the truth. It is a false truth. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They started putting things in false areas, false idols, false beliefs. And what it actually does, it does not lead you to the pit of God. What it actually does is it leads you to the pit of hell. It leads you away. There's only one true God. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What happens when you put thinking in the wrong place? What happens when you put your thinking into the wrong things? I put it like this. You start to become blind. When you put your thinking in the wrong areas, you become blind to the truth. You become blind. And that's why I, my, my verse that I just love that always sticks to verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. What a cool line, first of all. But they, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They are blind. They think they see, but they do not see. And when you're a fool, and when you're blind, you put things in places that shouldn't go there. When you're blind, you put stuff in the wrong place because you can't see. Have any of you walked in the middle of the night trying to go to the bathroom in a new house, especially when you don't know where stuff is? Try doing it with kids and Legos. <laughs> Try It's like, oh, when you're blind, it is painful. When it's blind, you can't see. The lights are dark, and you're like, oh, no, I know my kids put toys out. But if I turn on the light and wake my wife up, I don't want to do that either. And you're blind, and you're walking through, and you're like, I just got to get to the bathroom. But you're blind. You can't really sit. You start putting places in the wrong spot, things in the wrong spot, because you can't see properly. And in that, you become a fool. I love my daughter so much. I have to. I love them both. They're both great. But they are now getting at the age where they think they know stuff more than I do. They start telling mommy and daddy how to do things. Yeah. Thank you. But in the sense, they're, they're fools. They don't know, but they're blind. They don't know better. They figured out for the first time how to press the start button on the microwave, and they're the smartest thing in the world. They're like, look at me. But they're blind. They don't know at that point. And you know what's so funny? Is we do that to God all the time. We're blind being like, yeah, look at me. Look at me, God. Look at what I can do. I'm so wise. So awesome. God's like, what? <laughs> you pressed the start button <laughs> that I led you to, taught you to, trained you to? Because now with God, that's when the light happens. It's the, the, today is so much about wisdom, but I think sometimes when you have to see, when you see wisdom, you see the opposite side, that of fools. That of fools. We down, downstairs, we were reading some verses uh, down there about wisdom. And I find it interesting, uh, one of the verses 
uh, was Proverbs 10.23. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. Proverbs 12.15. The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And it goes on and on about the difference between a fool and that of someone who is wise. And that leads to verse 23. Because now they're blind, they're a fool. What happens? And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Wearsby puts it this way. He says, suppressing God's truth and refusing to acknowledge God's glory, human beings were left with a God and a human are so constructed that uh, without, they're left without a God. And humans are so constructed that they must worship something. If they will not worship the true God, they will worship a false God, even if they have to manufacture it themselves. They exchange the glory of the true God and substitute it for a false God that they've made themselves. They exchange glory for shame and corruption for corruption and truth for lies. It's, a stor- it's, the, it's the story of putting things in the wrong spot. I like Indiana basketball. I like Florida State football. And like anything, every time, I do. But I, I can put that in the wrong spot if I'm blind. And I can make that an idol. It's something created. It's a created sport. It's a sport. But how many times do you see people on NFL that are really into worshiping football? They get all dressed up. I'm not saying you can't go to a game. I'm saying, but then some people can start falling in love with something that's not God. And it could be as innocent as a sport. It could be as innocent as a music, musical band, concert person, you could start falling for false idols. And when you do that, at least to point number two, consequences of giving glory to idols. There's consequences of giving glory to idols. Paul talks about these consequences of idolatry in terms of the moral degeneration of human society. This is the consequence of rejecting God. I think it's going to be pretty amazing what we're reading in Romans, what was written in around 55 to 58 AD compared to what is going on right now in our world today. What is going on in our world? It's, it's, I don't think Paul is a great writer, but I think the Holy Spirit is speaking in such a way that we can't miss it. We can't fall for false idols. Moral chaos that has entered human society is rooted in human idolatry. Moral chaos. We've talked about since the beginning. Chaos has always been at the beginning. Uh, What is it talked about? The chaos. God puts order to chaos. God puts order in chaos. And what is happening right now in our world today? Chaos. There's a moral chaos. There's a moral, what is the truth? What are we trying to find out as the truth? And we are struggling with that. 
We're going to start with verse 24. And I love this because it starts with, therefore, God. Okay, if you ever see therefore in the Bible, highlight it and realize this is something that is, okay, we just talked about this, therefore, this is going to happen. There's usually 95 to 99% of the time there is a correlation of what is going to happen. We're going to find that out right here. <clears throat> therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. He gave them over to the lust and desires. Before we move on, he gave them over to the lust of the desires. The desires themselves are dishonorable. How can I, as a pastor, if someone were to come up and say, hey, pastor, I have a desire. I find the, that my neighbor's wife's really attractive and I have a desire to uh, hook up with her. How can I, as a pastor, say that's okay? Oh, I have a desire. Someone's really bugging me at, uh, at work and I want to punch them. I have a desire to punch them. I know I went ultraviolet there, violent there, but, but desires in of themselves, sometimes we think, hey, if I just don't do the action, I'm okay. The desire's all right. The, the thought's all right. Where does Jesus say that? He doesn't. The desire... You have to beware of the desire. The desire is very dangerous. The desire we have to be very, very careful of, of how we interact with that. There can be temptations, but then when desire happens, it starts taking over your heart. It starts thinking on it, longing for it, doing that. And that can be very, very dangerous. It says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires. So, we have to be wary of our desires. And one of the scariest things, too, that I've come to realize uh, as I've gotten older is uh, God giving me what I want. I think a lot of times, are you praying in the same vein of God, pursuing God, what God wants? Are you praying for what you want? And God's just part of, along for the ride. Are you just part, what, what's, your, what's your life look like? What are your desires look like? Are your desires for yourself or your desires for God? Are your desires for, hey, I want this and this and this? Or are your desires like, God, I will do this and this and this? Where, where is that for you? You have, to, you have to know what your desires are. 25 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Why did God give them over to the sexual sin? Because they abandoned God and served created things. As we've talked about many times, we are all imagers of God. We are all made in the image of God. But you know what? We're so crazy, we start worshiping things that we make. We start worshiping things that are not of God. Right now in the world, there's a huge push to worship Mother Earth, worship the water, worship the tree wood, worship like, hey, we'll worship this, and then our we'll worship these little Buddha dolls, or we'll worship this, and we put all these things that were, were created, but they are not the creator. The creator made the wood. Creator made the water. We settle for second best. We settle 
for third, fourth, fifth best. And we wonder why we, our things aren't right. Because we worship false gods. And because of this, verse 26 says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul talks about how sexual sin is a consequence. When there is a rejection of God and the failure to honor Him, and, and this is how Schreiner puts it, he says, the foundational sin overall isn't always just sexual, but the failure is to worship, the wor failure of worshiping God is. Our other sin is a consequence of this one. The fundamental truth of the universe is that God exists and that he should be worshiped and served and his name should be praised. As we see in verse 25, those that worship and serve God bring praise to him, but those who do not, fall to idols, and begin sexual immorality. Sexual sin, specifically homosexual relations, is a product of idolatry. This sin is repeatedly condemned in Scripture. Genesis 18.20 talks about it. 1 Corinthians 6.9 talks about it. Jude 7. Paul characterizes it as a vile, debased, shameful, and then gets the natural way. Not only were men guilty, but even their women. I find it really interesting right now. The, the world celebrates. The world celebrates going against God. And we see that right now. Uh, we also see that the church of Satan celebrates it. Like if you want to know what team you're fighting for or fighting against, the church of Satan has come out and is, is for all this, what we've just been talking about, the shameful lust of what we're going with. And as we deal with that, we look at point number three, those who delight in evil. 28 goes, so we did go, therefore, now verse 28 goes, furthermore, as we continue to furthermore, let's continue on, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. 
As we've talked about, although the people know the right thing to do, even though they know of God's righteous decrees, even though they know of Scripture, just like we know today, many people know the Scripture today. And that's why at many schools I've even seen is where people have been trying to burn the Bibles. You can't mess with that because they know what's in the Bible. They know it. They know what the truth is. And so instead of seeing, they rather stay blind. So they'll burn it. And even that is they encourage other people. It talks about that. It even talks about those who encourage others to produce evil and to practice evil. Some want to corrupt and destroy those who encourage others to pursue evil and commit even greater evil. As Robert Yarborough notes, we have here a violation of the command to love one another's neighbor. It's a, it's, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but what we're doing is the world is some people just want evil to happen. I'm going to play you a clip here. I'm sorry it's another Batman clip, but it is awesome. It's not as violent as the last one. This is a good one. Batman had just had its first, his first run-in with the Joker. So he had this run-in with the Joker, and Joker got away, and now he's processing, okay, what does the Joker want? What does he want? And he's talking to Alfred about it, and let's watch the scene. Alfred, we just need to figure out what he's after. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport, because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Some, world, some men just want to watch the world burn. There's evil. And some people want to bring more evil. And I think that we have to realize that, that there is a spiritual battle going on. There's a spiritual battle when people give in to evil that they, they can fall into that. They can fall into, hey, I'm going to take as many people as I want. People not only committed the sins and opened the, this against God, but they also encouraged others. So, just... So you know, evil desires will not win. Even though there's people out there like the Joker, even though there's people out there maybe not wearing the mask but want to see the world burn, they don't win. They're blind to the truth. They're blind to it. The ultimate victory is still ours. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. So as we look back, 
I want to re-go over three, the three points that we had sort of talked about. Who fights the wicked? Was the first question. A righteous God does. A righteous God does. Not no idol, not no other thing. A righteous God does. And there are consequences of giving glory to other places than God. People will fall into degrading themselves. And they'll worship things. There are consequences. And I want you to avoid those consequences. And when you see other people falling into things, you know that there's consequences of following following false idols. And point number three, there are those who delight in evil. Some people want to bring others down with them and enjoy it. But, and I didn't put point four on there, but there's the gospel. But there's the good news. You know what's so interesting? Some of you haven't had as many struggles as homosexual as it was just talked about. Some of you might have struggled with other stuff. But you know what? The gospel is meant for that, those people that have fallen as well. The gospel is meant as good news. The truth about Jesus so that the blind can see. That the blind can now have their eyes open to what it is and what the truth is about speaking in their lives. So many times, yes, there are consequences and God can still save people from those consequences. The gospel is a beautiful thing. Jesus Christ is the beautiful thing. He is the ultimate light. He is the ultimate uh, source, the guide. He is the ultimate died and rose again for us to be able to be able to see and walk alongside him. And as we do that, I don't care where your past is. Some of you, I don't know what your past is. Some of you have, have family members that you don't talk to. Some of you still hold bitterness that has stuff that had happened 50 years ago, five minutes ago. I know Les is still mad for calling him a knucklehead. So, you know, like, I don't know what that is. It could be something said that still sticks in your heart. But it could also be something, I still pursue money over God. I still pursue a house over God. I still pursue this. I don't know what that is. And maybe some of this is, hey, I've fallen into consequences of falling false gods. I've fallen into sexual temptation. I've had sex outside of marriage. I've had all this. You know what? God can clean that. God is a God that is so, he is on the ultimate mountaintop. He is the true God, and he can clean you up. If you repent and turn and turn away from the false idols. In scripture, it talks about, and we read it downstairs, and it was really funny because it was my closing argument, and we talked about it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Turn to God. Respect God. Know God. Repent. Go to Him. And turn away from the false idols. And as you will see, the consequences start to fade away. Now, you might have consequences because of what you've done in the past. And they might linger around for a while. But you're pure and right in God's eyes. There's a consequence when my, if my daughter was to put her hand on an oven, right? 
there's a consequence of a burn, right? And the more you keep doing it, it's going to hurt. It's gonna, there's going to be consequences just when she comes and hugs me and I'm saying everything's okay and the burn's still there, right? It's still there. You know why sometimes I think it's still there for a while? It's because you don't do it again. You learn not to do it again. And sometimes when you keep touching sin and touching sin, you need to run from it and go get a hug from God. And hug and hold on tight so you don't do it again. What a beautiful thing. Because that father's there saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Let's pray. There any father, today I pray that where everyone's at, if they have junk in their life, I pray that they give it to you. And if they need help, I pray that they go to the next steps area afterwards and have someone pray for them, uh, write down a note saying they want to meet with someone or do something because I don't want it just to stand here and just be, oh, I'll deal with it later. I'm done with dealing with it later. Let's deal with it now. Let's deal with it now. You are a righteous God that we know we can trust And we've had a lot of consequences for following false idols, maybe in some area of our lives, and we want to give those over to you. And we also maybe know people that are dealing with that right now. May we not just accept it, may we show them the true gospel, that of a loving, caring Jesus Christ that will let them have their freedom, but wants them in his arms. May we help show that by the way we live, by the way we love. We love and praise you and give the glory and honor all to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.